What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the Thursday morning edition of the show, I had originally planned to record uh, Wednesday night. Just got home from Nashville, man. I was whipped. And it uh, took me a while to get to bed, so here we are. So, nevertheless, here you go. You'll get another show tomorrow. But let's get caught up on SEC Media Days today. Uh, had a great time in uh, Nashville. Went up and uh, spent some time at the 247 Sports uh, headquarters there in the uh, CMT building. How cool is that to be in the country music television building? But uh, great facility, great people. Uh, got a lot of good things done. Spent some time uh, recording in studio. You can find that on the 247 Sports uh, YouTube channel. And a uh, matter of fact, I've tweeted it out, shared it on Facebook. It's out there. Uh, me and a fabulous, fabulous shirt in studio. And uh, I'd say it's so, everything up there is so well done. I was, uh, Incredibly impressed with how things went up there. And uh, spent some time on Broadway that evening, uh, me and the wife, and um, several people from 247 Sports, and uh, had a chance to visit with, uh, you know, Chip Brown, uh, Taylor Estes from Texas. Uh, that was nice to have a chance to sit with them. And, uh, you know, Chip's a guy, obviously, that has uh, you know, broken some big stories over the years. And uh, he had a lot of questions about Flim Flam and all things that go along with all that. Uh, so that was kind of neat. John Salty, some of your, uh, some of you guys remember him from the Clarion Ledger. Of course, now working for 247, covering Alabama. Got a brand new team over there to kind of couple up with Kirk McNair, who was a legend in uh, Alabama media coverage over the years. But um, it's always good to be around you know, your peers and kind of compare some notes and things like that. And people always have questions, and, and usually most of their questions, even nearly a year later, sit around Mike Leach. What was it like to cover Mike Leach? And I'll just tell you, it was one of the greatest times of my life. When we hired Mike Leach, one of the Washington State reporters for 247 told me, he goes, Steve, you're the luckiest guy in America to be able to cover Mike Leach. He goes, you don't, you don't realize it yet how great it's going to be. And he was absolutely correct. It's one of the highlights of my career to be able to, uh, to spend some time getting to know Mike Leach, but cover Mike Leach. 
And uh, you know, we, we miss him. We do. And uh, it was evident in SEC media days as Greg Sankey opened up um, you know, his opening statement, which is you know, traditionally one of the most important parts of media days, probably the most important part of media days. And he made the comment about how last year uh, Leach told him you know, how neckties are useless and how did neckties survive and powdered wigs didn't. And it's just so incredibly on brand for Mike Leach. So we do miss Coach. And uh, we wish him the best. But uh, media days will wind down today, final day, uh, being Thursday. And uh, looking at the, uh, at the schedule here, if I remember correctly, I guess you got Ole Miss in South Carolina today. A couple more, maybe one more. I, you know, again, it's a dog and pony show. But uh, today is the final day, which means there will be um, – the ballot will be released. And go ahead and be prepared. We're going to be picked sixth or seventh, and it matters not. I'm going to also give you uh, my SEC panel ballot. I was on the 247 Sports SEC panel and uh, got my ballot from Brandon Marcello. I'll share that with you. I don't know how much that stuff really matters. It just kind of drives content, you know, because anybody can make a list, even me, as I do regularly. You can make a list, too. And it's a little different day and time, you know, in media. And I'm sure, you know, maybe back in the day there were always some agenda-led people. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of fan media. But I'll, I'll be honest with you about that. There are so many people that, that look so fondly in remembrance of, quote, old-school media. And the more that I have gotten to know them, the more I realize that there has always been an inherent bias in many respects when it comes to Southeastern Conference football media. It's true. It's absolutely true. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. That's a bias you can get behind right there. If you're looking for a hamburger, there's no better place than Bulldog Burger Company. It's in the name, for crying out loud. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. You know, that's the thing about Bulldog, man. It's like it's always on my mind. I start thinking about my lunch options, my dinner options. I think, you know what, maybe... Bulldog Burger Company is the place for me. Even if I don't use it that day, it's always one of the first things that I think of when I index my dining options. And why wouldn't we, right? That great restaurant quality hamburger, the spring rolls is the appetizer. Maybe if you want to eat a little fresher today, maybe you have the, uh, the BLT salad. I get it grilled, you mean like it fried. You know, I mean, it's a good healthy choice and it's such a healthy portion. Chances are you're not going to finish it, but you're going to leave there satisfied. Isn't that the main thing? Like when you go to sit down and put your feet on somebody's table and you get ready to dine, it's about getting a good meal at a good price. And that's what makes Bulldog Burger Company so much better than everybody else. It's a great meal at a great price and a great portion. Be sure and check them out. You'll be glad you did. Get that chocolate shake to go. Ride that ride home with a smile. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, a lot of good feedback about the mailbag show. I don't like doing that that often. Summertime's a good time to do it. Uh, But a few things. We did have some people post a few questions as I recorded. So I want to knock those out. I don't want you folks to feel slighted, even though it's been a few days since you asked. I want to get that done, and we'll get into some Zach Arnett talk. We'll get into our top ten. We'll get into what to expect the rest of media days kind of what's next for us. And also, I'm going to reveal my SEC 
247 Sports panel ballot. A lot of people ask for that. Steve, how'd you vote? I'm going to give it to you today. Give it to you today. All right, so let's get back real quick, these questions. Uh, uh, WMR Williams, how would you rate defensive line recruiting? I think it's been pretty good, pretty good. Um, obviously, it's a big year for defensive line recruits in the state. I'm not as high on some of these guys today as I was back in, in February. And uh, what I mean by that is, in the beginning, there are so many of these players, really all you know about them is what you see them tweet out. You know about their offers. I mean, you know, I'll be honest with you, your good friend and host doesn't get out and grind the way he used to years ago. I mean, you only got so many phone calls, I think, in your life that you can make the high school student athletes. But um, the reality of it is, you know, I used to be on the road all the time. You know, my wife used to be a college football widow because I'd leave on Thursday, go to a junior college game, cover a high school game on Friday, cover a college game on Saturday, and then uh, come home and crash on Sunday. And sometimes Sunday was a travel day home. And so I saw a lot of kids in person. So there's not many people doing it that way anymore. You know, people have become very reliant on huddle video and things like that. And a lot of times, you know, kids come to camp. It's not like it was you know, 10 years ago where the thought of going to camp was like, I'm not going to camp. I've already got offers from Alabama and LSU or whatever. Well, nowadays, you know, offers basically are, for a lot of kids, it's an invitation to camp, and they want to get you in camp and work you out. So my, my feelings about this defensive line group, I think we've got a bunch of really good D1 defensive linemen. I don't think we have a ton of SEC linemen like maybe we thought in March. You know, because you see all these guys are claiming offers from all these big schools, and next thing you know, they end up committing to Southern Miss. And that's not a slight to Southern Miss in any stretch. Coach Will Hall and his staff does a great job down there. But if guys are committing to a G5 program in June, says a lot about their other options. And some guys just want to stay closer to home, right? But they could go to State or Ole Miss, too. That's not far from home either. But my point is, when you see a guy commit in June or July to a G5 program, it makes you believe that his SEC options are probably not committable. And so, as we begin this process, it's like a big funnel, like where everybody is a prospect. And then as we go through spring evaluation, as we go through the summer camps, as we get into, you know, our – uh, preseason type uh, workouts, all of a sudden that funnel has narrowed a great deal because everybody's a star in the beginning. Then you kind of narrow it down. So we're at that point now where the funnel is, is really pretty thin. And so I think it is a really good year for defensive line recruiting in Mississippi. I don't know that I would agree that it's, it's a banner year. Uh, and there are some big guys out there that are get, get, claiming some big-time offers. I, I told you guys, Jamonte Waller is an explosive player. I just don't know where he fits. And that's not in any way to be critical of him. And a lot of people say, well, Steve, you're hating on this kid. I'm not hating on him. I just hate that he doesn't have a true position. Now, of course, in all these hybrid defenses, things change, right? You can find a place for a tweener. And that's what he is. He's a tweener. Uh, I do think that five stars next to his name is not correct. I don't think he's ever going to live up to that high. But it's not to say that he's not going to have a good career. I, I certainly expect him to. I mean, this guy's an explosive player. But he's got a linebacker build, and he's got defensive end foot speed. And so, yeah, guys can get a little bit faster. I don't think that he's the guy that you're going to have covering out in space out there. You know, maybe he's a guy that rushes the passer, uh, tries to, you know, crash the pocket every down. Maybe that's how you utilize him. But, uh, again, maybe in the beginning we thought differently, right? I just don't think that you put five stars next to a guy's name that doesn't have – a true position, if that makes sense. 
Uh, Jeffrey Rush is a guy that people really high on in the beginning. Uh, he is very much the square body type guy. He is a guy, if we, it's a plugger that gets in there and plays hard, but he's not nearly as big as listed. And those are things you kind of look at. But um, I do like Hibbler a lot. I think Hibbler's a guy, obviously, who's got to get in the weight room, kind of get the baby fat off, kind of get things rolling. But I think the reality with him is I think that's a guy who you could make a case is probably the top interior defensive lineman in the state. Uh, but I think we're doing okay. Doing okay. And we're only going to take three. Probably take a junior college guy. We'll see how things go. I think we're doing okay. I think we've probably done what we needed to do. Uh, a lot of people, again, you see all these stars next to their name and you think, well, you know, I, wanna, I wish we had those higher rated guys. You start chasing stars sometimes, you end up with guys in a portal because you got to do your own evaluation. You can't go recruit anybody based on what a recruiting service says. All right, Juice 2K. He didn't question. He just kind of commented. Remember we had the, the whole discussion about sweet potato pie or pumpkin pie? He is team sweet potato pie. All right, MSU Bulldog fan one, what in your opinion is the best breed of dog and why is it Rottweiler? It's not Rottweiler. I can appreciate the people that love Rots, but uh, I've got uh, three blue healers, a German Shepherd, and a black lab. That's what I've got. And uh, I love them all. And uh, Mojo, who was the my first blue healer, has uh, basically sat at my feet since the day that she got here. And uh, I'm going to give her co-writing credit in the new book. I have neglected to do that in recent years, but uh, she has sat at my feet, no matter if it's 2 a.m. or 1 in the afternoon, and helped me write these books. But, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I've I got a German Shepherd. I love him, too. I do. Uh, D.B. Bulldog. Makes you wonder, is that D.B. Cooper? Do you know? Do you know the story of D.B. Cooper? I'm not going to get into that, but uh, watch the documentary. Do you think Rodgers returns for 2024? If not... Is our QB Parson Flowers or a portal guy? I think that's to be determined, but I don't expect Will back next year. Right now. Now, that may change. Again, it's, it's, in the end, it's his decision. And that's the thing you begin to think about with quarterback recruiting. If Will returns, you take two high school guys, right? If Will doesn't return, you might have to go out there and chase a portal guy, even if it's for depth or for competition. I mean, obviously, you want to go out there and sign the best player you can. You always want to be adding to the top and subtracting from the bottom, right? So, I think it all hinges on what Will decides to do. And, I, and at this point, I think it's too early to kind of project that. To say, you know what, hey, he's certainly not going to come back. I don't expect it. But a lot can happen between now and uh, the end of the year. But if Will leaves, I do, I do think you have to go out there and recruit a portal guy. And uh, I can't say that that guy's going to be the starter. I mean, because uh, yeah, Chris Parson could certainly win the job. Perhaps Mike Wright could win the job, right? And we're going to talk about Mike a little bit lower in the uh, question and answer session. Big Fig Dog says, has Barbe picked Willis's mind about – Will's mind, excuse me, about the air raid concepts trying to add more to his offense? I don't think so because of the fact that Barbe already runs a lot of these uh, com, you know, concepts. I do think Will probably has said, hey, we ran this. I mean, Barbe obviously will sit down with his quarterback, and that's one of the things that we did uh, when Dak was here is, uh, you know, after he had some time in the offense, hey, what are your favorite plays? What do you like to run? What are you most comfortable doing? And then we kind of built the play sheet around that. I mean, you, you installed the full offense, but, uh, you know, when a quarterback is not comfortable running the play, more times than not he's not going to have confidence in the play call. And so – 
Yeah, there's always some of that. But in the end, I think, you know, Barbe is the guy that knows what he's doing, as uh, the numbers show. Kurt Dog 178, have you ever done Foghat or Jethro Toll on the top 10? The answer to those questions are, is no, are no. And we're never going to do Jethro Toll on the top 10, ever. And that's because of the fact that the Grammys screwed Metallica. And so this is our small way of protesting that. And yes, they eventually tried to make it right, and it was patronizing and ridiculous. So no, we're not going to do Jethro Tull. Maybe we do Foghat. I don't know. Is there, top t- is there a true top 10 for Foghat? I don't know. We'll have to dig into that. And will the 2023 defense still run a 3-3-5 set? Yes. Or does Matt Brock have other ideas? Well, this is going to be uh, Arnett's program. If so, will, will he be overruled by Arnett? Well, yeah. Yeah, the head coach is always going to run the scheme that he wants, right? I mean, that's like the reason that he promoted Matt Brock is to have continuity on defense. And you saw that last year. I mean, Matt Brock has been working in this scheme now for three years under Arnett. They see defensive football the same way. So, yeah, we're going to continue to run at 3-3-5. As a matter of fact, you might even see some more exotic looks. Some of the things they dialed up that were kind of opponent-specific in the Relia Quest Bowl, that, that's kind of the brainchild of, of Matt Brock. Extremely intelligent guy, a guy that I think is going to be a head coach someday. And I know when he coached special teams, you guys disagreed. So, Bulldog Backer 76, a guy that's been around a long time in the Mississippi State Internet community. The Germans bombed Pearl Harbor. Did they? Yeah, I know the story. Who bombed Yokohama and what was its uh, yield in KTs? I, I, I don't know. Uh, I do like Yokohama tires, though. Yeah, maybe put some uh, 22-inch Lorenzos on that thing, man. Sundog, who is up next on OL? Would Sanders likely go into Alabama? Will we land an Eric Moulds level wide receiver? Who? Oh, good, good questions. I think the whole thing with the offensive line thing, I think you continue to chase William Eccles, and then you get into the year and do some further evaluations. I don't think at this point maybe you have identified a priority target. I think at this point, now that it's you know July 20th as we speak, I think you can take a little time here because, you know, hey, you got a good group already. You feel good about the four guys you have. You can afford to be picky. And not to mention, you get later in the season, there's going to be coaching changes around the country. You might be able to get a guy late that you're not on yet. You know, maybe a guy that's happy with his decision right now that may open up his recruitment if there's a coaching change made around the southeast. You know, we've taken advantage of that in the past. You know, Mason Miller took back-to-back kids from uh, Virginia Tech. You know, and it, it pays to have, like, a best available offense and defensive uh, scholarship available in December. Will we land an Eric Maltz level wide receiver and who? Well, what's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think Eric Moulds is probably a generational talent. So I don't know that I would ever uh, bestow that honor on anybody. You know, I thought Fred Ross was a guy that could potentially be that guy. You know, Fred obviously had a good career here, but uh, never to that level. I don't know that we have a wide receiver quite like Eric Moulds or we'll ever have one like him that can just take over a game the way Eric did. And so – yeah, I don't know. I think that's I think that's asking an awful lot. I mean, you're talking about a legendary player. It's kind of like saying, will we ever have another Dak Prescott? You know, um, I don't know. Certainly hope so. But I don't know that I would want to just say, hey, yeah, this, this guy's going to be Eric Moles. I think that would be almost foolhardy. All right. Uh, poor old state says, I'm going to go out on a sturdy limb and say if he has made it this far in his coaching career, he doesn't have to pick the mind of a 22-year-old off for offense. He's talking about the question about Barbe and Wills. That's true. He's not going to build an offense around that. But if you don't think he's not going to at least find out what Will is comfortable doing, that's probably um, probably not accurate. I don't think Barbe is so rigid he's not going to it, it, employ the, the thoughts of his quarterback a little bit just to find out what he likes doing. Kind of answered that already, but. All right, so uh, Philip M. says, realize you've already recorded, but how much rope does Arnett have? I mean, tons. Tons. We are predicted to be last, so if we finish 6-6 six and six and in 12 plays, well, it's actually 14 places, has he exceeded expectations? No. N- no. Absolutely not. In, in any, our expectations have nothing to do with that of the SEC media. It's like we're, we won nine games last year. So we're just going to say, well, we should be last place because somebody in the SEC media that doesn't do their research votes us last? No. Our expectations are to at least do what we did last year. That's the expectation. No, no matter how you may feel about it, if, if we go 6-6 six and six this year, it, we, it's a huge disappointment. With eight home games and a lot of parity within the league, probably more parity than we've had in recent years, we go six and six, we have missed a golden opportunity. So no, we will have not met expectations. In fact, we will probably, uh, probably be thinking to ourselves, hey, we, we, we may be in trouble here. But I don't expect that to happen. We graduate a lot this year. What if 2024 is six and six, is Arnett on the hot seat? Well, I mean, if you go five and seven this year and six and six next year, yes. Yes, he would be on the hot seat, as would anybody. Right, you put together back-to-back mediocre seasons, even in a place like Mississippi State, they're not going to let you hang around. And of course, with him being a first-year coach, I mean, you know that contract is kind of 
uh, structured in a way that would allow us to get out of it rather inexpensively if we needed to. But I don't, I don't go into anything expecting to lose. And I don't think Zach Arnett does either. And yeah, I think, I think 2024 is going to be a challenging year. You know, we, I, you know, first blush, I look at that schedule, and of course things change, right? I mean, I, I, when it came out, I said, we're probably looking at seven and five. Probably need to save some scholarship for some portal guys or some JUCO guys to get a little bit older because we do graduate a lot this year, which makes this year all the more important. We're a veteran team with a favorable schedule. And I don't, I don't know how you could argue against the fact that we have a favorable schedule. I've seen some people say, well, I don't know how favorable it is. It is the best schedule we have had in a decade or more. Truthfully. So, yeah, we can't go 6-6 six and six this year and then go 6-6 six and six or 5-7 and seven next year and then expect to say, well, Zach Arnett's going to lead us to greatness. Now, I'm sure Zach would love for you guys to think, hey, we're going to be 6-6 six and six this year, and then he'd go out there and put up an 8-4 and 9-3 year. You'd think, oh, this is the coach of the year, and maybe he should be. But, no, we're not going into this year expecting to just achieve bow eligibility. No, not in any way whatsoever, Period. And anybody that thinks that way is just uh, kind of got this old poor old, poor old M State mentality. No, we have to take advantage of this schedule and the parity available to us in this league this year. And people are like, but Steve, it's a first-year coach. Well, you know, it's not a, he's not new. He's been with us for three years. He knows our personnel, knows our culture. So, no, no, we're not going to be satisfied with six and six or seven and five. We're not. And some of you may. But I think you don't look at the totality of the schedule and the opportunity that we have within the league this year to have a good year. And, again, we went 8-4 and four last year and won a bowl game, one of the biggest bowl games in the history of the program. So we go 9-4, and four, finish top 20, and then we return just about the entire team intact with, you know, save one or two guys in the secondary. Why would we think we're going to win six? Why would we think we're going to be three games worse than we were last year when we have one of the more veteran rosters in the conference and a more favorable schedule, why, why would that be a reasonable expectation? I'll be honest with you. If I'm Zach Selman and Zach Arnett turns in a six-and-six six year this year, it's going to be a little chilly around the complex because we have a golden opportunity. And, again, hey, Zach is our guy. And I never go into – like, I never hired anybody expecting to fire them, you know. There may have been times in my life I would enter maybe a romantic relationship saying this is never going to work out, but I'm going to enjoy it while I can. It's much different in this. You don't go spend the kind of money we're spending, and you don't make our fans or expect our fans to invest their own emotional energy and their own financial resources for us to go to Liberty Bowl again. Not this year. Yeah, maybe next year you look, hey, if we get to Music City, it's probably a good year. Because that's the thing that Dan Mullen did a great job of is we avoided the big nosedive season when Dan was here. Right? A rebuilding year meant Liberty Bowl. A rebuilding year meant St. Petersburg Bowl, right? And, of course, we get in on the APR thing in 16. But you understand my point. You know, years and years ago, what we'd have is we would build and build and build and build and build. We'd get a senior-laden team, and then we'd go to the Liberty Bowl. Or we'd go to the Peach Bowl, which is a much more prestigious bowl these days than it used to be. And then we would nosedive the next year because we get to the end of a talent cycle. We couldn't sustain regular solid recruiting efforts. And so it was up and down, up and down. That's why we never really maintained any sense of, uh, of culture in many respects. 
And Duty Noble and Charles Shire at times made some very questionable hiring decisions, to be quite honest with you. And, of course, we can say that in hindsight. But the reality of it is is that, you know, we were able, never able to have any continuity in football, ever. And so Dan Mullen really stabilized things in that respect, that a rebuilding year still meant a bowl game. And, yes, I understand there are more bowl games today than there ever have been. I get that aspect of it. But at the end of the day, we didn't have these three and nine, four and eight type seasons under Dan Mullen. So that tells me it can be done. It can consistently be done that we can put a winning product on the field. In some years, we win more than others. But I think that we have grown enough as a program uh, that we, we should expect more than just going to a lower-tier bowl game. I'm not going to be satisfied with that. You know, of course, I'm not the guy making the hiring decisions. But the reality of it is, I think as a fan base, we got to expect more than the, the, the dadgum Liberty Bowl. All due respect to Liberty Bowl. But we've been there so many times. And, of course, it's a lower-tier bowl game within our – our pecking order, all due respect, there was a time back in 2007 we had not been to a bowl game since 2000. We were thrilled to go to Liberty Bowl. In fact, we set the all-time attendance record at the Liberty Bowl. I think we've graduated beyond that. Were we just hope to make a bowl game? How are we ever going to get ahead in the SEC if that's our expectation? Well, we just want to go put a team together and, you know, we'll have a good day. We'll fight to keep the cowbells and we'll go to a bowl game. I just think we should expect more. I, I can promise you this. Zach Arnett is not the kind of guy that's going to say, well, you know, what's a bowl game? I think that should be the expectation. We should always expect to go to a bowl game. Because the way the schedules are structured and the way there's so many bowl games, I mean, not making a bowl game is terrible. And there's no guarantee you make it at 6-6. Six and six. So forgive me for throwing Joe Moorhead back in the discussion, but I, I, I agree with one thing Joe used to always say. Nobody rises to low expectations. Nobody. So if we're going to get to what we want to get, there has to be greater expectations. That all starts with Zach Arnett. And if you have followed Zach at all since he's been here, Zach Arnett is not a guy that just wants to get out there and fill the team and have a good day. Zach Arnett wants to win. I think that's why he's our guy. But, uh, again, I've belabored this point for a long time. And, Philip, I'm not, I'm not being critical of you. I hope you understand that. It's like, well, Steve's, you know, kind of gotten fired up here. No, it's a reasonable question. And I've seen this around a lot of times. But I think the reality of it is, is if we win six or seven this year, we have missed a golden, golden opportunity. And I think that the Zach Arnett era would kind of stumble out of the gate. I think a lot of people would say, you know what, I know it's first year, but, you know, with next year's schedule kind of looming, this is tough. Then all of a sudden you're looking at two years where you're like six and seven wins and you start asking yourself, are we going to be able to get to the next level with this guy? And I've got more faith in him than that. I think this is going to be a very good year. Are we going to win the West? No, we're not. Are we going to New Year's Six Bowl game? I'm not, I don't know that I would go that far either. But I expect to be in Florida. I think we're going to beat somebody we're not expected to beat, too. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are doubting us, and I think that fuels the Zach Arnett machine. So there you go. Finalizing the uh, mailbag show. We'll do it again some other time. We're not going to make it a regular feature, though. Right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. at C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. I've actually had uh, some people kind of mention to me, hey, this whole idea about maybe buying a condo or a home while my kid is in college is a novel idea because of the fact that I can recoup my investment. As a matter of fact, I have a friend that that's exactly what he did several years ago, 
He had uh, a daughter coming to Mississippi State, and he knew basically her final year, his son would be coming to Mississippi State too. So he's like, you know what, I've probably got eight, nine years of paying rent in Starkville. So I'm going to buy a condo and let them stay there, and then when it's all said and done, I'll just sell it to somebody else and be their game day condo. That's exactly what they did. Maybe that's the path for you. You know, maybe if you look and you say, hey, I've got three kids, they're probably all going to go to Mississippi State, and they're not going to live in dorms. You know, maybe you begin to think, you know, what, what's, my, what's my business opportunity here? Maybe I can, in the end, make some money in this deal, right? Well, hit up our friend Blair Chandler at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And say, hey, Blair, Steve's told me this whole thing about you can buy a home up there and if your child is 18 or older, they can sign with you and begin to build their own credit portfolio to begin to get some adult credit. Because you know all the kids are going to run out there and get those credit cards you're going to have to pay off anyway, mom and dad. This is a responsible way to get this thing done, to kind of give them a head start in life. And you know what you could do after you're done, uh, you know, when you finally sell your condominium, if the kid doesn't decide to make start with their home, then maybe give them half of the equity and let that be a down payment on their future. It's a great, great deal. So rather than throw your money away and rent, maybe look into this. And of course, if you just want a traditional mortgage, maybe you don't have college kids. Maybe you're not going to have kids coming to school each day. Maybe you're looking to buy a home for yourself. Blair can help you with that, too. Top 1% close ratio in the country back-to-back-to-back years and works a fairway mortgage, not some fly-by-night subprime lender. Again, give them a call today at 601-500-2344. All right. Roy Samante had this idea. We've kicked this around for a long time, and I am not really a pop guy, even though we just did Wham! that was very successful, just so you know. A lot, of, a lot of our female listeners, I think, uh, enjoyed Wham. Uh, some of our male guys, too. And Wham's a great pop band. It was. But uh, probably the biggest pop star, male pop star, in the known world right now is uh, Ed Sheeran. And so Roy, Missy, and Elsa are going to see Ed Sheeran here in a couple days. And uh, it's so interesting Roy puts together the list. I said, Roy, I, I, I mean, I know the song Don't and uh, a couple more. And Don't didn't even make the top ten for Roy and Elsa and Missy. Oh, it did make it. Pardon me. Pardon me, Roy. Uh, but here we go. So here's the top ten with Roy's comments. I'm just going to read you Roy's comments and because Roy is over the moon excited to go see her cheering. And I don't know if you've seen the video. When uh, Ed recently played in Detroit... He said he was going to do an Eminem cover song, and then Eminem joined him on stage with uh, Lose Yourself. Kind of a cool thing. But here we go. Uh, the top 10 Ed Sheeran songs, according to Roy, Missy, and Elsa. I will give Elsa the hat tip here because I suspect she is probably the expert here. All right, number 10, Life Goes On with Luke Combs. It's off the brand-new album. Ed performed a song at the ACM Awards with Luke Combs. So a new song makes the top ten. And considering Ed Sheeran's extensive catalog, that says a lot. Number nine, Don't. I like the track. I do. And, of course, it was about some uh, celebrity girlfriend. I can't remember who it was. But nevertheless, Don't is number nine. And here's Roy's comments. There's some great riffs to be found in X, but the opening of Don't contains maybe the best. The song also features some of Sheeran's smartest lyricism, an incredibly catchy chorus, 
and some spectacular breath control. In short, it's everything Sheeran does well and done at its best, and breath control makes its top 10 debut. Number eight, Galway Girl is a collaboration between Sheeran and Biego, an Irish folk band. Sheeran was influenced by traditional Irish music when he wrote the song, as well he should be. As a matter of fact, uh, my youngest, Ian, introduced this song to me years ago. Number seven, The Shape of You. If Sheeran needed a song to cement his iconic status, this was the track. I feel like Roy's writing a book here, uh, or a press release. Released in 2017 for his third album, The Shape of You, includes writing credits from the members of TLC due to its interpolation of the trio's hit, No Scrubs. The song peaked at number one in 34 countries. It stayed at the top spot for 14 non-consecutive weeks in the UK and 12 in the US. In 2018, the song became the first to earn 2 billion streams on Spotify. It now busts more than 3 billion. Boy, Roy has taken advantage of this here, making your good friend the host look a little bit uh, amateurish, I guess we could say. I'm not giving you stats, so I'm shooting from the hip. I'm telling you the truth. But Roy, I give Roy credit. He's done a good job putting this together. Number six, Happier. According to Sheeran, the song is about looking back at a former relationship and initially feeling bitter, but then realizing that a former love is better with someone else. The theme of the song makes it one of Sheeran's most heartbreaking songs. I guess in some respects, we're all like that. I, I, I submit to you this. Uh, when they coined the phrase, let the bridges I burn light the way, they were referring to me. I don't have these uh, fond remembrances, but I also uh, don't have uh, any unresolved issues with anybody. Matter of fact, when I got clean and sober, one of the first things I did was make amends uh, to the young ladies that I dated perhaps I didn't treat with respect and dignity the way that I should. But no, I don't have any of these uh, you know, feelings like that. And I think maybe some people do in the moment, but... Uh, the thing that I have learned about that is when you reach the fork in the road and you finally make the decision to move forward and move away from somebody else, it's easy to make the peace with it. It has been for me. Number five, The A-Team. The song that started it all, The A-Team, was the debut solo single from Sheeran, released in 2011. It was the lead single from his debut LP, and it's about a sex worker addicted to crack, cocaine, and was written after the songwriter visited a homeless shelter and heard stories from the people living there. Uh, that's interesting. A little aside I didn't know. Number four, Castle on the Hill. I, and again, I feel like I feel like Ed Sheeran's like media team wrote this and like sent it to Roy. But uh, Sheeran rattles through his life story in this upbeat single from 2017. Taking us from a broken bone at six to his latest trip home, he describes how the relationships, friendships, and settings of his hometown made him the person he is today. The folk influences are all over and can be felt here, too. A twangy guitar backing Sheeran before he leads up into the big pop rock chorus. It's cheesy in the right way and endlessly smile-inducing. Smile-inducing, also making its uh, top ten debut. Number three, Thinking Out Loud. Everything, everybody knows this one. This song that has soundtracked a thousand weddings. Couples were choosing Thinking Out Loud for their first dance within days of its release. Whilst Sheeran has written a multitude of love songs throughout his career. Thinking Out Loud remains one of the most popular, speaking to the idea of a love that lasts after youth, beauty and attraction fading. Lyrically, the song is simple but very effective, and Sheeran's vocal performance is incredibly compelling. Number two, Photograph. And I'm going to be honest with you, we could probably do a photograph show. We could do Nickelback. We could do Duff Leppard. Maybe that's an idea for us, Roy. Maybe we do a photograph show. 
Ed Sheeran's photograph is number two on this list. Sheeran wrote this track with Johnny McDade from Snow Patrol. It's about the experience of a long-distance relationship with his former girlfriend while he was away on tour. You know, I'm, I'm making people mad here. Probably Roy included. But um, I think Nickelback's version is better. I think Nickelback's photograph, even though it was overplayed, and you know the reason it was overplayed is because you all loved it and called up and requested it. Number one. Drum roll, please. Number one is perfect. It's one of the most celebrated love songs in the world. Boy, some hyperbole from Roy Samante today. Sheeran released two versions of the single, one as a solo artist and another as a duet with Beyonce. In the UK, it was the number one song of Christmas 2017. It also topped the Billboard Hot 100 in the United States and the charts in Canada, Ireland, Australia, and New Zealand. A few weeks after releasing the original and the duet with Beyonce, Sheeran also released another version called Perfect Symphony that featured Andre Bocelli. So there you go. And so that's your top ten list of Ed Sheeran songs. Now, I don't know how Roy did I don't, because I only know a handful of these songs. But uh, I will tell you this. If you've ever watched um, the great movie Yesterday about the Beatles, you know what I'm talking about? About how there's this, you know, wrinkle in time and, and everybody forgot who the Beatles were. They never existed. And this, the one guy found a way, like he woke up and he was playing Yesterday. And people are like, that's so beautiful. Where did you, did you write that? And he goes, no, it's John Lennon. What are you talking about? Ed Sheeran kills in that movie. It's great. And I think it really turned Ed Sheeran on to a different generation of people. I think a lot of people listen to pop music. But uh, if you haven't watched Yesterday, I would encourage you to do so. We saw it in the theaters. We couldn't wait for it to come out. And uh, my youngest has uh, got his own Beatles playlist now. And so I think that's a really cool thing is to be able to have uh, a connection with maybe your favorite artist influences. Uh, that's how it was for me. I remember being, you know, being a teenager, and uh, you'd hear Aerosmith. Like w- once you knew who Aerosmith was, like when Aerosmith returned to the scene with Done with Mirrors and, of course, Permanent Vacation, and eventually Pump. You know, it kind of pulled that older catalog out of the closet, and then people were like, "Listen to this." And people of my generation really got into the '70s era Aerosmith albums. And all of a sudden, you begin to realize that bands like Faster Pussycat and Motley Crue and Extreme were all influenced by Aerosmith. And then you get into Steppenwolf and bands like that. And so I think it's interesting to go back and look at the pathology of things. And this whole thing with Ed Sheeran really dates back to the Beatles in many respects. And uh, he's a great singer-songwriter, sold a ton of albums. Uh, So maybe this is your thing. Uh, Friday, we're going to get back to some rock. Some rock you know, something with uh, some hair in your face. But uh, congratulations to Elsa, who is going to get to see Ed Sheeran. I'm sure it'll be an amazing night for her, something she'll never forget. And uh, good on Roy and Missy for taking that in with her. Uh, that's a cool thing about being a parent, right? One of the best things I think I've enjoyed about being a parent is uh, turning my kids on to things like this, right? Letting them have a big experience. Because, like, when I was a kid, man... Like, my world basically existed of, like, 608 Branton Avenue, Columbia, Mississippi. That was it. And so outside of, like, going to church, that's all we ever did. That's it. Like, when I was a kid, like, if we got tickets, our our big excursion each year was we'd go to the Dixie National Rodeo one night. That's what That was it. That was all we got to do. We were broke as the Ten Commandments, man. And so 
as I've gotten older, you know, like when I became a teenager and got into college and began to make my own money and things like that, I'd go to shows. And really all I ever wanted when I had kids, I wanted somebody to play with, right? You know, all of a sudden I could continue to play video games and sort of stuff, you know. I don't play these days because I'm, I'm a dinosaur. But uh, my point being is and all of a sudden when I got all of them to go with me, man, you know, we started going to shows and then Audrey started going with me. And uh, Mia's gone on some shows with us. Now Ian's gone on some shows with me. I remember uh, taking Ian to see Shinedown for the first time in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, it was a school night. And I told him, I said, I'll bring you to the show but you got to promise you're going to sleep on the way home. And he did. And he went to school. He didn't complain. Uh, put on a shinedown shirt. It was great. We met Ani and Betsy, my son and daughter-in-law at the show. She had never seen shinedown either. And so the thing about making those memories, you know, the things that I got to do with my grandparents and my parents mean a lot to me. And I'm grateful to say that I've done a lot more things with my kids. And that is no way I slide to the people that raised me. I've just simply have had more resources to do so. But making memories with our kids, as former kids ourselves, we know how much it means. And uh, again, kind of a modest upbringing for me, but I think about those things regularly. I mean, just like it was such a big deal when my dad took us to see Mississippi State play a football game. I get to go all the time now. I do. And I never forget what that feels like. It's not just a job for me. As a matter of fact, Dan and I talked about that this morning. It's like it's so incredible to me. Like, you know, she's done some photography for me this year. But it's kind of reminded me how incredible this opportunity is. You know, because when you do it all the time, you begin to think, well, this is just kind of what my job is. It's such a privilege to be able to cover Mississippi State sports and uh, to see her face. Like when we go over to, you know, to walk inside a new college baseball stadium for the first time for her. It's like she's a kid, you know. And uh, she's been to Tennessee twice now. Right? I mean, that's incredible to think about that, too, that she's, you know, been to Tennessee the last few times we played up there and had a chance to see Jake Mangum set the school record, you know, for hits, career hits, beat Jeffrey Ray's record. I mean, you know, she and I were the only two that were there in the media. And so I think about that stuff all the time, and I think about, you know, what it means to my children and what it will mean to my grandchildren. I have one grandchild right now with our second one on the way here in uh, a couple months. But, you know, Vivi has been to Hawaii how crazy is that? And uh, she gets to go kayaking with her parents and go biking with her parents. And I think, you know, uh, this is one of those things you look at. It's like, I'm just so proud of the parents they've become. They, she does arts and crafts every single day. Every single day. She's doing something creative. And uh, I think basically what I am beginning to see is the next generation in my family tree is improving upon the one that Dana and I were able to birth. Right? We did a good job, and I think our kids are going to do an even better job than we did. And that's the hope, right, is that you want to see every generation get better. I think about these things. Writing this book, you know, for uh, When the Bottom Falls, you need to pre-order today if you hadn't done so. It's one of the things that I did write about uh, in Chapter uh, 2, I guess it was. It's some good family history. You know, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, excuse me, uh, Otis Robertson, you know, owned a big dairy farm out there on Augusta Road in Ellisville, Mississippi. And, and uh you know, his descendants, you know, slept through to a bed and got out and worked the farm and, and did the dairy. And, and my dad went to college at Mississippi State because he wanted me and my siblings to have better. And so you begin to think about changing your family tree forever. You know, we come from very, you know, humble but very noble families. You know, many of us, you know, are from longtime Mississippi families that um, endured an awful lot. Absolutely did. And uh, 
I think, you know, if Otis Robertson could kind of look and see what's happened with his family now, I think he'd be awfully proud to know that the, uh, the family that he began or continued there in Jones County, Mississippi, is, is continuing to flourish. So those kind of things mean a lot to me. I told you guys before I, that the song Scarecrow always gets to me. Rain on a scarecrow, blood on a plow. Uh, that part where he says, I think about my grandpa, my neighbor's in my name, and sometimes I feel like dying like a scarecrow in the rain. So I always think about being from a farming family from Mississippi. And so let's use this opportunity, as always, to thank the thankless, in many respects, that do a thankless job for us, the great American farmer, especially those of you in the great state of Mississippi, in the sound of my voice, doing a job that so many of us couldn't do or wouldn't do. Thank you, as always. All right, next segment of the show brought to you, as always, by Campus Bookmart, campusbookmart.net. That's your online shopping home for Mississippi State merchandise. Be sure and check them out today. When you're in town, go by and see their smiling faces. Lovely, talented Susie, Miss Pam Manyard, Kathy Brown, the whole crew there will treat you like family because in their minds, you are family. Simple as that. And again, campusbookmart.net. Check it out. Use promo code BSR. Which stands for beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. And you know what? Nowadays, that's an important part of life. Anytime you get something free, it's a big deal. If it's free, it's me. I'm sure you feel the same way. And online shopping's become such a big deal. It's so convenient. But let me encourage you, rather than resort going to Amazon or eBay or something like that, support a local Starkville business. And look no further than Campus Bookmart to outfit your family with the latest in Mississippi State fashions and memorabilia. Be sure and check them out today at campusbookmart.net. Okay, let's talk about uh, Zach Arnett. I thought Zach did well. Not that I'm surprised in the least. I thought he did well. And uh, a couple things we'll go over. You know, of course, he uh, you know, talked about Leach. And Leach set the SEC record for uh, – Shortest opening statement, Coach Leach was not a fan of those, and he always used to tell me, he said, well, guys are going to ask whatever they want to ask anyway, you know. And we've seen some guys go up there. Remember Hugh Freeze back in, uh, what, 16, I guess it was, or 17, uh, prior to his resignation, basically got up and filibustered. And if you recall, the very first question of the uh, media days is like, uh, Coach, what are you going to do with Deep Snapper? Yeah, that's the hard-hitting question. Uh, silliness. But uh, – Again, it was about running out the clock for Coach Freeze then. But, uh, you know, Leach was like, you know what, I'm going to get up here and you guys just ask whatever you want and I'll answer it. But, uh, again, a lot of uh, fond remembrances of Coach Leach. And uh, Arnett mentioned that and talked again about how grateful he is to be the head coach at your university. That's the thing that I think is um, – there's probably, you know, a ring of authenticity in that that I don't think people fully appreciate. You know, everybody's like, oh, we love Starkville. The difference is Zach Arnett really does. That's not to say that other people haven't, but Zach Arnett is a guy from the very beginning has basically told us, man, what a great place to raise a family. And he backed that up, too, by agreeing to that, you know, extensive uh, buyout, you know, because he wanted to stay here. It's like, hey, I'll sign the contract. Sure, I'm happy to stay here. Oh, you're going to pay me, and then somebody else has got to give – uh, the university, uh, a king's ransom to get me to leave? Okay, fine. We'll do it. Uh, Zach is one of those people that loyalty is a big thing with. And he was loyal to Mike Leach. Even though he got out there and obviously uh, talked to some people, that's the business part of it. Everybody's got an agent. Uh, Thayer Evans is uh, Zach Arnett's agent. You may remember Thayer Evans. He used to work for SI. 
But uh, Zach does what Zach wants to do. You know, there are a lot of people out there that are kind of uh, swayed by their agent. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to have somebody to work through the legalese of a contract. And that's basically what Thayer does for Zach. But uh, Zach wants to be at Mississippi State. And uh, he's talked many, many times about how much he enjoys being here and his family. And, of course, a new addition to the Zach Arnett family here as of late. And congratulations to everybody involved. Uh, happy to know that mom and baby are doing well. Obviously, we talk about players, and that's one of the things that uh, we, we talk about being a player coach. I think it's easier to be a player coach when you have been a player. You know, when you know the rigors and the demands that go into being a student athlete at Division I level. And so it gives Zach some credibility in the room, but also, too, it gives Zach some insight into what these people are going through. And it wasn't that long ago that Zach Arnett was a college football player. He talked extensively about uh, some of that. He talks about the thing that I thought was interesting about the three guys that he picked to go with him, Woody, Will, and uh, Jaden Crombie. They are Mississippi State guys. They embody the Bulldog mentality. I think that is a very accurate and apt description of your players. Quote, we are really fortunate as a coaching staff. We have at least a dozen more seniors back in Starville right now just like these guys. That's the thing that I look at and say, you know what, you know, how are we going to take advantage of this favorable schedule? Well, that's it. You've got upperclassmen that have paid their dues, and now they have a chance to kind of cash in here and uh, at least replicate what you did last year. Quote, we have a core group of returning upperclassmen. A senior and junior class has played a lot of football. They know what it takes to compete and win and the level of strain that is required in this conference. A throwback to Dan Mullen. Strain. It's amazing Adidas didn't jump aboard that and have a bunch of strain shirts. Thank God they didn't. Hopefully under our leadership by the end of August and by the end of training camp, hopefully those same things will be said about our entire football team, that we show up to work, that we play the game the way it's meant to be played, the way it's supposed to be played. Absolutely true. And we've talked extensively about the grit of our defensive unit under Arnett's leadership. You're going to see a lot more than an offense too. People always talk about how a team takes on the personality of its coach. If that's true, if that adage rings true for us, don't you feel like Mississippi State's headed in the right direction? We spoke extensively about how Zach Arnett has been an underdog his entire life. A guy that walked on the football team in New Mexico, earned a scholarship, and ended up being the captain of that defense. So impressed Rocky Long that once he got done playing, Rocky hired him as a GA and eventually as defensive coordinator. The guy that took over here as a defensive coordinator under Mike Leach, and people were like, well, you know, everybody doubted him. Remember that? It's like, well, you know, Rocky Long did all the play calling. Zach Arnett was just his protege. But you look at what we've done defensively the last few years, and it hadn't always been uh, peaches and cream, but we have brought a very physical brand of football back to start. That is our identity. That's what our people really respond to. And it was the same way women's basketball with Vic Schaefer, you know. Uh, the reality of it is, is that our people, by and large, are hard-working, blue-collar, hard-nosed people. And so we expect to be good on defense. Even in lean years, we've been pretty good on defense. But I think when you look at what the attributes that Zach Arnett possesses, I think that's going to be basically prevalent throughout every aspect of Mississippi State football. 
Uh, last year we won nine football games, four time in the last nine years. Did you know that? 13 consecutive all games, five first-round picks in the last five years. Simply put, our fan base has much to be proud of. This is a tremendous time in Mississippi State football history, and we thank them for their continuous support. That's you. We keep it pretty simple and common sense in our football building as we approach training camp. Let's go to work. Let's line up. Let's roll the ball out there and play a football game. May the best team win. With that, I'll conclude Hell State and open it up to questions. Got questions about Kevin Barbet, about why he was the right guy. And I think, again, you know, I don't need to read Zach's answer to understand why Barbet was the right guy. After spending some time with Kevin this summer, having a chance to talk with him in the spring, but really outside of media opportunities, you know, at camp, just to sit there and kind of talk with him a little bit and pick his brain some, I can see why Barbet, you know, take the resume completely off the table. But if you sit there and talk football with Kevin Barbet, this is a guy that gets it. This is a guy that fits exactly who and what Zach Arnett is. It's a guy that wants to play a physical brand of football. It's a guy that wants to use scheme to get the matchups that are advantageous to Mississippi State. And I love what he says, what kind of offense are you going to run? Well, who are my best 11 players? You know, how many times have we seen, not just at Mississippi State, but throughout college football, a guy try to push a square peg in a round hole. It just doesn't always work out. So you find the strengths of your players, and then you build a scheme around them. And Kevin's a guy historically that has you know, thrown it a lot. At times he's run it a lot based on what the strengths of the team are. And I think when you look at the fact that we have Woody Marks and Simeon Price, I think Jeffrey Pittman's going to be a good player for us too. We've underused the running backs at times, and I think we're a team that's going to be able to run the football. And, again, I've said it a million times now, I think Will Rogers will have a better year, maybe perhaps not statistically, but I think you're going to see Will really take a step forward this year because Will is not just a systems quarterback. I don't care what everybody paints him to be. He's not. And the fact that he's going to have more plays in the arsenal to allow us to exploit the way teams try to defense us it's going to be a much different deal. I mean, for three years, he's seen everybody, you know, do drop eight and drop eight, and they change some things up here and there. And at times, we were sitting ducks back there, you know, because, you know, when the talent differential took over with opposing D-line against our offensive line, at times, we came up on the less end of the stick. There are other times we did a great job protecting. We just couldn't get open. You know, again, that's where recruiting comes in. But I think with this scheme, it's not just completely reliant on individual talent. I think it's one of those deals where you can get the matchup you want, you get Tulu paired up with a safety in space, it's a big play. And we didn't do enough of that. I think we all agree with that. As, as great as things were last year, at times, you know, we had some games offensive, but we didn't show up. I mean, Kentucky being one of them that really stands out to me, that's a game we should have won. And if we've been able to consistently run football, it's probably a different ball game. You know, I didn't think Will Levis had a great game. He was really big on third down against us, made some big throws. But the reality of it is, is they ran the football with, uh, against us, and, um, you know, we didn't have Jaden Cromerty. And I think if you have Cromerty, it's a different ball game. I do. But I think also, offensively, we kind of got in a situation where they shortened the game on us and kind of confused us a little bit. And I think now you're going to be more than a one-trick pony in many respects. Remember, Dylan Johnson got hurt in that game, too. It's a completely different deal uh, without DJ. But uh, that said, Simeon Price has come on, too, and I think we're going to be fine. Wish DJ the best. I think we're going to be really good at running football. But I think the thing when you look at Barbet is 
Barbe fits. It's not like, well, this is interesting. No, this is a guy that fits. His value system about the game of football matches that of Zach Arnett. All right, and so uh, we'll skip over this little playoff question here. Um, you didn't have any prior SEC experience since you came to Mississippi State, and if I read some stuff correctly, you had some chances to leave, which is true. Why did you decide to stay? How did Mike Leach, working with him, prepare you for this? And are you still going to be your own coordinator and call the play? That's three questions. Wow. Um, I came to the SEC. Obviously, I've not worked in this area of the country before. I've had a really charmed coaching existence. I really worked at two places. I was at San Diego State for nine years and an opportunity to come here. In the middle of that, he was at Syracuse for, what, nine, ten days with Schmidt, his best buddy. Obviously, when you're a young coach, you get a chance to be a defensive coordinator and the opportunity to rise coordinator uh, defense in the SEC, particularly the West. You pack your bags and you walk there on your own for that opportunity. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. So it was a no-brainer decision for me to come here. Obviously, I think I had the greatest job in the country. Isn't that what you want all your coaches to think? Honestly, I mean, like, again, I, th I think about my own life and uh, the decisions that I've made within my own career. You know, sometimes you just need somebody to fall in love with a place. And I think that's what's happened with Arnett. Uh, back to quotes, you talk about whether my name was rumored for other jobs or not or whether I was in the mix. I had as good a situation, I had a better situation in terms of being a defensive coordinator here at Mississippi State than anywhere in the country. I was happy here. I mean, me and my family love it in Starkville. Again, it's not just a talking point. That's not something that Brandon Langwall or Zach Selman said, hey, make sure you work in a good plug for Starkville. That's what Zach Garnett really feels. And you ask about the uh, play calling. No, I'm not. I've got experience with that. Obviously, he's a head coach in the ball game and leading up to that. I don't think I could prepare as well as the other defensive coaches with all the other hats and responsibilities I'm wearing. So I gave over play calling duties in the ball game to Matt Brock, which is true. Uh, he's our defensive coordinator now because I knew he'd do a better job at preparing and calling the defense in that game. And he talks about he called a, he a heck of a game. We played really good defense, in my opinion. It was a no-brainer. Uh, that's the thing, too, with, with uh, Matt Brock. I think a lot of people, again, I, I touched on this earlier, Matt Brock is a cerebral, cerebral guy, as is Arnett. Arnett kind of comes off a little bit, you know, as, uh, you know, kind of the hype-up guy, right? But Zach is extremely intelligent. Matt Brock is equally as intelligent as Zach Arnett. And I think the two of them, again, not only do they see football the same way, I think there is a little bit of this cat-and-mouse game they really enjoy. And I think Zach was very comfortable turning things over to Matt after three years together. There's just a lot of continuity there. We talk about Jet and Buki, uh, pretty impressive, you know, and uh, to think about what they did last year after not even being picked on the preseason all-SEC list. Now we need them to take the step in their game. They made a lot of plays for us last year. Now we need them to elevate their game and bring the other guys along, put their arm around these younger guys who are going to have to fill their shoes after this year and show them. Lead them on a daily basis how it is you go about preparing and doing your work so you can have that success come Saturdays in the fall. That's true, and, but it's not just a leadership piece. We need those guys to go out there and absolutely uh, lay the wood, to, to borrow a phrase from the 90s. We need those guys to set the tone for this defense. I talked extensively in the question earlier about the 3-3-5 thing, and, and um, again, you know, it, it's, it's well documented. You know, Rocky Long, in many respects, was a fan of Joe Lee Dunn's, and so he kind of modernized the 3-3-5 to be able to attack the spread offense. 
you know, when Joe Lee did it, you know, we were seeing a lot of uh, too tight uh, fullback lead type stuff. So things changed a lot. So Rocky Long put some innovation into the scheme, and then Zach Garnett brings that back in many respects to kind of the home of the 3-3-5. And uh, really excited about that. And I love the scheme because they never know where we're coming from. They never know. And I remember Gene Stallings years ago, before we even had the SEC Network, there used to be a show on cable that would kind of break down things, and Gene Stallings was a, was a regular contributor to the show. And he talked about how important it was to be able to pick up Mississippi State in a pre-snap read for a quarterback. He says, because, you know, you've got 11, they've got 11, one of your 11 is the quarterback. And so there is somebody that is always accounting for your quarterback, but you never know from play to play who that's going to be. It's not like it's just a spy all the time. There's always somebody that's expected to come free. And I think you're seeing that in spades now with the scheme. I love the scheme. I love the fact that Arnett and those guys want to get after it. And, you know, listen, Zach's first year, we ran a lot of zero coverage and we got beat because I think from a talent standpoint, we just couldn't get there. We just simply couldn't get there. They probably had the right play call, but maybe not the right personnel. We've improved that. We've seen guys get better and get more comfortable. And so now we can kind of run whatever we want to run. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that it is so difficult to line up and play against this scheme with a week's worth of preparation. Very, very difficult. Because not everybody runs this kind of stuff. Uh, but, yeah, it's great. It's great. Uh, guy asked about Marcus Banks. And, uh, of course, you know, he's made the move from corner to safety and uh, one of the fastest players on the team. So we expect a big thing from him. And, I, again, I told you guys, during camps this summer, he was out there every day coaching kids, guys that he didn't even know. Guys that weren't even recruited by Mississippi State, guys that weren't guys that had offers. It wasn't like he's out there kind of, you know, painting the big maroon picture. He was out there because he loves football. He was out there doing his best to just be around the game. I respect that. A guy that we talk Leach used to always talk about guys that need football. But Marcus Banks is out there every single day talking with kids, giving them pointers, trying to help them be better players and ensure they have a good time at Mississippi State. He'd go over there and grab the Gatorade bottle and give people water and things like that. I mean, I, I was so impressed to see that. I didn't know he was that kind of guy, but he is. Uh, Zach was asked about the identity, you know, and that's a question that uh, we've all talked about a lot. And I think we all just kind of know this. But uh, and this is where the big quote that came out the SEC Network put out there. It's been acknowledged for a long time in this league. When you line up against Mississippi State, you better pack your lunch bags and hard hat because it's going to be a physical game. That's what Mike Leach wanted. I think Arnett wants it probably even more than Leach did. I think that's one of the reasons you've seen the schematic change on offense, is we want to be blue-collar and hard-nosed and in-your-face and win these war of attrition on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And I also think that by running the football a little bit more, going to give the defense a little bit of juice and give them some rest, because how many games last year did we gas out in the fourth quarter? Right? That's a part of it, too. Uh, Zach says, when I first interviewed with Leach and talked to him about what he thinks are the important things about developing a winning football program, it's not about scheme. It's all about the effort in which you play, the physicality and tenacity. Simply put, the most excited, passionate team who lines up on the field excited to play the game, that's kind of been Mississippi State's identity. Be the most excited to play. How many times did you hear Leach say that? That's who we are at Mississippi State. I hope it's a continuation of that identity because if we can assure those things as we get through training camp, 
If we can have a football team who lines up excited to play with a physicality and a determination and a disciplined football team, you got a chance in every game, regardless of scheme. That's important, too. Now, Mike Wright, I thought while this wasn't one of the um, the hot points to probably many people in the media, I was glad this question got asked. Uh, because, you know, Vanderbilt beat Kentucky and Florida uh, with Mike Wright under center. And now he's at Mississippi State, and he has two years of eligibility left. I, I recently saw some people uh, say that he wasn't uh, a two-year guy. He is. He, has, he had the COVID year. So he has two years of eligibility if he wants to utilize it. So uh, we know that Will Rogers is a starter, but Mike Wright didn't come here to hold a clipboard. We're going to implement him some in the offense. I think in the red zone, I, I think it would be incredible to bring Mike in there because now all of a sudden you've got to account for the quarterback run. There are some wrinkles and things like that that we can run down there that I don't think teams are going to be able to prepare for. And, again, I love the fact that you've got a package that gives people something else to think about. So Zach says, yeah, Mike is obviously a really talented guy. Like you mentioned, there aren't a lot of quarterbacks in the transfer portal market who have SEC victories on the resume. He's one of them. He's incredibly athletic and talented. He can hurt you both with his arms and his feet. Make no mistake about it, Will Rogers is our starter, and his resume speaks for itself. But, Mike, there's a lot of things Mike can do and wrinkles that we can add in the game plan that could allow us to be really dynamic on offense. And there are situations within a game, certain areas of the field, wink, wink, and distances where he can create some opportunities for explosive plays for you on offense. I think that's third and short. We need – we had a need at a quarterback position. We lost a couple kids to the portal and they decided that a better location would be a better fit for them, and we're going to go out and get, like you said, a proven guy who's got SEC experience and starts under his belt. He's won games in his conference. That's the thing I think about, again, this is a guy that was the starter at Vanderbilt. He wasn't just a piece or a guy that got buried in the depth chart. This is a guy that's won big games. He destroyed Florida, and Kentucky couldn't stop him. And so when you think about, again, we go back to that Kentucky game last year. You know, we didn't have that explosive guy that could make plays on third and long. And I don't know if Mike's that guy either, but I know this. I know that Mike Wright is a guy that brings a different dimension to this offense. And when you think about Barbe, and we're changing play calling, we're changing alignments, we're doing all this kind of stuff, you don't think that guy's going to cook up some things for, for Mike Wright that's going to have people thinking? And maybe you don't utilize it a lot in the early going, but when you, you, you go against LSU – Third and short, you bring Mike in there. I mean, come on. It excites me. And Mike is a guy, too. You know, he's, he, he's not a guy that pouted last year. You know, ultimately, he lost the job. He could not consistently throw the football. But in certain packages where you simplify the reads and give him the run-pass option, give me that guy. Oh, my gosh, what a nice wrinkle that we have that we didn't have last year. And nobody's even talking about that. And so I was so glad the question gets asked because it introduces the dialogue. We're going to use Mike Wright probably in every game in certain situations. Will's the guy. But when we get down there close, you get inside the 10, and you want to truly make it 11 on 11, where they have to account for the quarterback, which means just one less guy in coverage, it makes perfect sense to bring Wright in. Perfect. All right, so um, I'm going to skip down a couple things here. We're going to talk about the uh, Zach Selman thing, one of the last questions that was asked. Uh, kind of, you know, what's it been like? 
you know, with because uh, Arnett got elevated to be the head coach at Mississippi State when Bracky Brett was the interim AD here. And so, what does it mean, you know, with uh, now with Selman's taking over? Selman didn't hire the guy, right, or promote the guy. So Arnett says, I mean, obviously the simple answer has been very good. Now, we had the privilege and luxury. We, we happened to work for a university president who was about the most well-respected, well-regarded man in all of college athletics, Dr. Mark Keenum. His leadership, along with that of our athletic director, Zach Solomon, is evident to anyone who sees that we had the right people at the top of an organization guiding our athletic department. It's been fun to work with him on a daily basis. He's with me here today. Actually, it's going to be fun going forward. I absolutely believe that. It's like when you begin to think about how things have kind of elevated here, and what's happened in Starkville here over the course of the last, you know, eight months or so. Uh, we have endured some very difficult things. And uh, now it's time for us to kind of move forward. Not that we don't miss Mike Leach and the fact that we don't respect the things he did here. And it was so great to see all these fond remembrances of Leach at SEC Media Days. But this is year one of Arnett. And we'll always be grateful to Mike. But it's time for this to become Zach Arnett's program. So we're not running the air raid. You know, we're not going to be out there swinging our sword. Right? I mean, this is a new era. And I think Zach was obviously the perfect guy to kind of bring us forward. And I think that he can do so with respect and humility about Mike Leach and probably use the positives that he learned under Mike, that there'll be some semblance of, um, of commonality, I think, culture-wise. That's a big part of this. I think everybody understands that. All right, so uh, later today, your Bulldogs will be announced sixth or seventh in the SEC. Obviously, um, that's part of the deal, you know. That's part of the deal, obviously. That's kind of always, you know. That's it, you know. I mean, that's – we're used to it by now. So, so here's my picks. A lot of people ask me when the panel came out, Steve, can you make your picks public? Uh, if you lose track of this, I will uh, – I'll put it over on Gene's page too. But uh, I did not stay around for media days. I did not even get credentialed for media days. Uh, I went to Nashville to meet with the 247 sports people. And, uh, you know, Joel Cox, a guy that uh, and has been instrumental in my career, was in town uh, and gives you know them a chance to meet with all the SEC publishers. And so I spent some time with them. And uh, Dave and uh, Robbie covered for us, which is perfectly fine with me. But uh, here is my panel ballot and would have been my ballot – had I attended media days. So in the East, number seven, Vanderbilt. I think Vanderbilt has taken some strides forward. Um, it's going to be interesting. I just think they're just so far behind the rest of the league from a talent standpoint. Lost a couple big guys, including Mike Wright, but uh, it'll be interesting kind of moving forward. I have Missouri sixth. I think this Eli Drinkwitz thing, I don't know how serious they are about football in Missouri, to be quite honest with you. I mean, you look at what they've done – they're not excited about baseball. They're very excited about basketball, and they have been. But I don't know, you know, what's what's a reasonable expectation for Missouri within the SEC? Can you continue to go six and six and seven and five and keep a job there? I don't know. I mean, look at Barry Odom. He's one of their own. They ran him off. So you know, is Drinkwitz coaching for his job this year? I don't know. I got him sixth. Kentucky. A lot of people all every year, you know, they get all hyped up and they're going to win it this year. And, and there's never any evidence to support that. I mean, there's never in any data that you look at and say, oh, yeah, this is Kentucky's year. But every year there's some talking head out there. Watch Kentucky. I got them fifth. 
the quarterback situation's a mess. Uh, you look, you lose some of that running game. Uh, they had some, they had a couple really good offensive linemen, and I, give Kentucky some credit. They've been able to run the football. Like last year, they really struggled in pass protection, and some of that's because Will Levis was basically a statue back there. But they're able to run the football. I just don't know if they're going to be able to do that with the same success this year. I got them fifth. Other people will have Florida fifth. I have Florida fourth. Fourth in the SEC. Some people may have them as high as third. I got them as fourth. And, again, they're projected to have a losing record. I just think Florida, in the end, will be able to out-talent some teams. You know, Billy Napier, I know, you know, was just kind of bland at media days. A lot of people kind of like, oh, there's just no excitement. Guys, the press conferences don't matter. I know we always talk about winners and losers and that sort of stuff, and I'm not in any way being critical of those type of articles. But my point being is I've seen a lot of guys go win a press conference and lose a ball game. At the end of the day, it's about winning. I think Florida has enough talent to get there this year. They're not going to contend, but I think they're going to be a little bit better than they were last year. But is that going to be enough? I think Billy Napier needs to have a big year this year. And then you don't have uh, Anthony Richardson to get it done with. So that's going to be interesting. I got South Carolina third. Now, that may seem like a surprise, and I'm glad we get them early. But I like Shane Beamer. I think he's done a good job there. And I think because there is so much parity in the East this year, I think South Carolina is going to win some of those toss-up games. I think South Carolina will beat Florida, which is kind of the difference in this deal. And against Spencer Rattler, of course, uh, you know, one of the uh, most explosive quarterbacks coming back in the league. I got him third, and I think Spencer is a guy that will make some plays in these even toss-up type games. I think Spencer is good enough to beat Florida. I certainly think he's good enough to beat Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. And so when you start working through this, and so, okay, maybe they're three and five, four and four, you're getting in tiebreakers. I think South Carolina wins a tiebreaker. And then number two, I got Tennessee. Uh, I think Milton will have a great year for them. I think Tennessee could be right back in the mix for a New Year's Six Bowl game. Hypo runs an explosive offense. He has done it everywhere he's been. And a lot of people thought when he was in Central Florida, well, he's just kind of, you know, running Scott Frost's scheme. I think we see now that maybe Hypo was the driving force behind Central Florida rather than Scott Frost. And, of course, number one, Georgia. That's my East picks. Again, Georgia first, Tennessee second, USC third, Florida fourth, Kentucky five, Missouri six, Vanderbilt seven. I think really, honestly, I think – for the most part, outside of Georgia and Tennessee, it's all pretty even, you know, in the East. All right, let's look at the West. Uh, last in the SEC West is the Ole Miss Rebels. No, I'm kidding. It's not. No, it's not that. Actually, I've got Arkansas pick seventh. And, uh, again, I, I go back to so much of this. They are so reliant, and so many people have talked so poorly of us. The situation in Arkansas is not great. They have one of the best quarterbacks in the conference, if not the country. In the red zone scheme, I don't know if there's anybody in this league I'd rather have than K.J. Jefferson, to be honest with you. And he mentioned he almost went to Mississippi State. True story. Not sure he'd have been a good fit for the air raid, but um, certainly with Jim Moorhead's scheme, it would have been great. You know, I think K- Again, I'm a huge K.J. Jefferson fan. I just think there's so much riding on his shoulders this year. And, of course, you got Rocket. We've talked about it extensively. I just think defensively this is going to be a team that's going to struggle to stop people, which in turn gets you out of your offense. You get down a couple scores after halftime, and all of a sudden you can't really just run what you want to run. 
you can say, well, you know, if we can get a stop on defense, that's a real issue. It's like, even if you go down and get a score and make it a one-score game and then give it right back up, it just deflates the offense. I just don't think defensively Arkansas is going to have what it takes to win in the West. And so I pick them last because I think in the end Auburn is going to beat them. I don't think Auburn, again, is as talented as they have been. That's not to say that they won't have some things schematically. Uh, to kind of cook you up. You know, Freeze is a guy, despite his personal failings, is a guy that can coach offense. Um, and so, yeah, I think Auburn is probably a team that maybe is kind of a snake line in the reeds. And what I mean by that is there's going to be somebody out there that gets their season wrecked by Auburn, and it's going to galvanize that fan base and say, hey, we got the right guy. Let's just kind of hang in here and figure it out. Uh, so I got him sixth. And I got Ole Miss fifth in the SEC West. Because I think, I think Ole Miss is going to be freeze. I think they will. I think they'll get up. I think there'll be a lot of uh, excitement about the game. I know that freeze will give them their best shot. I just don't know if they're going to have the horses to slow down uh, that Ole Miss running game. You know, Judkins, of course, a guy from Alabama. A lot of people thought Auburn might be able to flip him late. They never really were in the game. Give Lane Kiffin and those guys a lot of credit. But I think Ole Miss is a good team. I don't think they're a great team. Um, I think, again, when you go portal heavy the way that they did, and Lane Kiffin actually talked about that this morning, is that there were some cultural issues. You know, when you go out and you get all these guys that hadn't been together for a while, it's tough to kind of keep those guys together when they're short-timers. And that's, you know, that's a paraphrase of what he said, but I agree with him. I think it's one of the reasons you've seen them kind of recalibrate their recruiting efforts and focus more on high school players, because I think you want guys that are going to be invest in your program throughout their careers. Not to say you don't supplement – uh, but in the end, I think that uh, the reason Ole Miss went south the way they did is I think there are a lot of people that kind of bought into, hey, we're going to have a special year. Then when they didn't get so special, I don't think they brought the same level of intensity. All right, number four is uh, your Mississippi State Bulldog. It's actually a spot back. And I know some people would say, Steve, you're so bullish on the Bulldogs. I think eight and four gets us to fourth. And if you beat A&M, I think it gets you to third we got to go to College Station this year. And I know we've had some success down there, but I've got State 4-4 four and four in the league. And that's, of course, losing to Alabama and LSU. Uh, I do think you can get to 9-3. and three. I do. But it's going to require probably an upset of somebody and then holding serve with everybody else. So i got State 4 because I have State winning the Egg Bowl again. Number three, I've got A&M. I think State and A&M are right there together. And people would say, but Steve, A&M was 5-7, and seven and, and you really haven't been bullish on them. I think Bobby Petrino does make things better. And I think the schedule is much more favorable for A&M than it was last year. But I think they're probably, again, kind of an 8-4 and four type team. And maybe I'm wrong. But I, I've got them third. And, uh, again, I was kind of surprised, to be honest with you, when I put that thing together when I start working through the schedule, and it's like, okay, well, they should win this one. Oh, well, maybe it's going to be better here than we thought. And, again, it's going to boil down to Wegman and Bobby Petrino. What can they do to put him in a situation to be successful? And, again, what happens when there is some ad- adversity? Does Jimbo take over the headset? You know he will. <laughs> you know he will. And what happens when A&M maybe loses a game they shouldn't? You know, because you know Jimbo's on the hot seat this year. I just think they respond. I, I do. And uh, – Again, they're going to have players at A&M. Number two, I got LSU. I like what Brian Kelly has done. I like Jaden Daniels. He killed us last year. I mean, if Jaden Daniels sprains an ankle, we win that game probably by two touchdowns. Simple as that. 
when things broke down, Jaden Daniels won the game for LSU. And that was the discussion after that. It's like, so here's the deal. This is a guy that uh, can't run within the framework of an offense. And so he just kind of breaks down, takes off and running. Well, I think over the course of the season, like we talked about with Rodgers and Barbe, I think they kind of figured out what he was good at, what he liked to do. And they kind of – their play calling kind of lended itself to his skill set. And so – I just didn't know if he'd be able to survive the season running as much as he did. And he did take some big licks late and showed some real toughness. But uh, Jaden Daniels leads LSU to an SEC Western Division Championship last year. Uh, the big win over Alabama down in Baton Rouge, one they'll never forget because Alabama is the gold standard in the SEC West, which is why we have a number one. And, uh, you know, I picked Georgia to win the SEC again, but I think Alabama can make it interesting. I just – again – it's so hard to pick against Saban, right? It's almost like a default pick. Like, well, we're going to pick Mississippi State last and Alabama first. It's almost like how it works every year. You know, true or untrue. It's like there's always this inherent bias. You think, well, State will find a way to lose the ball game. Alabama will find a way to figure it out. It's just kind of how people feel, true or untrue. But, you know, what's going to happen at quarterback to Alabama? I, I think, again, when you begin to work through this list here, there are some quarterback battles that have to be fought over in the East. But by and large, most of your quarterbacks in the West are back, with the exception, really, of Alabama. You know, Auburn, of course, still has Robbie Ashford. But, uh, you know, is he going to win the job? I, I think he's probably like Mike Wright, probably a package guy. But, you know, uh, Daniels is back for LSU. Wegman, who wasn't the full-time starter but got some starts last year, is back at A&M. Of course, Will Rogers, Jackson Darts back at Ole Miss. And then uh, – you know, KJ at, at Arkansas. So there, there is some ebb and flow really with the quarterback position, mostly in the East. But Alabama is the team that uh, people are picking to win the West, and then we don't even know who the quarterback's going to be. You know, we'll see. I did pick Georgia to win it all. I mean, win the SEC. My offensive player of the year is Brock Bowers. I think in many respects he's kind of a um, – and dare I say it, He's kind of an Aaron Hernandez type, and, and I don't mean to introduce uh, any of the things that happened with him after he left Florida. Um, but he's a freak of an athlete, and that's what Brock Bowers is. And uh, there are a lot of people that wished he was be able to go pro last year. But this is a guy, especially in a situation where you're bringing in a new quarterback, you know, you're going to try to find you know, the quarterback's best friend is a tight end. And so you've got – you know, the greatest tight end in college football currently on your roster. I think he's going to have a big year. I think in that running game, it's going to open up some play action stuff. Uh, defensive player of the year for me is Harold Perkins, Jr. And I actually picked him to be the SEC player of the year, which reminds me, I, I misinformed some people. Um, the voting was set up. You could vote whoever you wanted to. Like, uh, I, I was confused in hindsight. Uh, the SEC Offensive Player of the Year and the Defensive Player of the Year were both eligible to be the SEC Overall Player of the Year. And Daniels was named by the 247 panel as a top offensive player, but not the Player of the Year. I went with Harold Perkins. This is a guy, in many respects, that kind of came out of nowhere and absolutely wrecked shot. He was unblockable down, last, down the stretch last year. I mean, just incredibly productive. And I can't wait to see what he does this year. I think that Harold Perkins uh, is a guy that's going to be an absolute beast in this league. SEC Coach of the Year, uh, it's Lane Kiffin. No, it's Kirby Smart. And, I, again, I think Kirby has uh, gotten Georgia where they expected to be. And Georgia, let's be honest about it, Georgia for decades has been an underachieving program. Kirby's kind of got them where they need to be. They asked me for my one big prediction for the league. 
I said, it's a return to the running back. Many top offensive players in the league play the running back position. Judkins, Sanders, Marks, and others will shape the conference on offense. I think a lot of that, too, is because of the fact that, especially in the East, you don't have a lot of incumbent starters on quarterback, at quarterback. And so I think we're going to see some guys, even though NFL draft picks are much, much different these days when it comes to running backs, I think you're going to see much more at the line of scrimmage this year. There'll be everything, I think, in many respects, will be predicated off the run. A lot of play-action stuff. I think safeties are going to be in conflict much of the year. You know, Tennessee is a team I think layered out. But, uh, you know, but by and large, I think because of the fact that you have so many great running backs returning and then you have so many quarterback situations that are kind of unsettled, I think you're going to see a much more run-happy league this year. Now, now we, we may end up setting a, a conference record when it's all said and done for passing. But I think especially with all these coaching changes, these new offensive coordinators, all that kind of works together in concert, I think, to really make this uh, a line of scrimmage league, again, at least for this year. But that's how I see it. Now, you may see it differently, but that's how I see it. But uh, pretty exciting stuff. Pretty exciting stuff. And uh, I'm ready to get started. I'm ready to get into fall camp and get you guys some pictures and, and be able to get you guys uh, some information on who looks good and who doesn't. And, again, understand, like, you know, we have the Javante Payton clause that we have to put in all these spring reports and practice reports. Javante was amazing in practice. And then when we get in the game, sometimes he would disappear. And there's some guys like that that are great practice players that didn't always transfer over to the game. And then, of course, Javante you know, got banged up a little bit um, in the 2020 season. And, uh, yeah, wishing the best wherever he is. But understand that there are some guys that are going to do great in practice and other guys that are gamers. You know, Justin Robinson was a guy last year that, uh, despite the fact that he was kind of getting, you know, some good press, was a guy that it took him for maybe a semester for the light to kind of come on a little bit. And uh, you saw it, that kind of led into the season a little bit. But understand, we're going to give you the best we can. We only get a limited amount of time to view practice. But uh, we're excited to get back out there. As hot and miserable as it may be, we love being out there to cover football practice for you guys, and we're going to have full coverage over at uh, jeanspage.com. So be, be sure and check us out. Of course, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. If you hadn't done so, go to Dogpile the Book. All these URLs go to the same place. The new book, When the Bottom Falls, about my personal path through addiction and kind of, you know, what's the sojourner's truth about that? How do you beat addiction? What's the proper process? I share a lot of that in there. Uh, so if you're a fan of mine or if you've got people, of course, that uh, you love that are working through recovery or they're in an active addiction, I'd encourage you to get in the book. And it, even maybe for yourself, just to be able to kind of understand a little bit more about addiction and maybe how you can help your loved one. But uh, you can get everything there now, uh, with the exception of Bloomsville Leander, which will soon be out of print. But at the uh, When the Bottom Falls website, you can get Dogpile, Stark Villains. We did find some more of those. Alpha Dogs, Flim Flam, and now When the Bottom Falls. Six books now. Six. Six books. Uh, Bloomsville Leander will soon be out of print. You can get that at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAndMillion.com. Uh, be sure and check that out. And uh, Stark Villains gear. When you're thinking about your fall purchases, be thinking about a, a hoodie or a t-shirt. You can get both at StarkVillains.com in an assortment of colors. And if you live in Starkville and you got kids that go to Starkville Academy or Starkville High School, you can get them in those school colors too because we rep the whole city at StarkVillains.com. Be sure and check it out. And as always, come join us over at JeansPage.com. If you're not a part of our 
Mary Banner Maroon, Maroon Misfits, what are you doing with your life? We'll be back tomorrow for Friday's show, a brand-new top ten list and uh, plenty of other content. We'll do a uh, baseball portal update. We're working through some of that, and um, we'll get some other things taken care of. We'll have some uh, fresh intel for you, and maybe even some stuff on the football recruiting trail. How about that? But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.